Hello, welcome to the Westminster Standard. This is Ryan Beasy. Uh, we have um, an interesting topic today. I'm going to discuss uh, with a couple of brothers an article written by uh, George Sayer. Uh, we'll bring them up in a minute. But uh, we live in a postmodern age. One of the uh, tenets of, of postmodernism uh, is its inability uh, to firmly define pretty much anything. Uh, there have been whole tomes and sections of libraries uh, dealing with this topic, but it has particular impact and uh, import on uh, the church that we not succumb uh, to the whims and foibles of postmodernism, but that we be clear in our language uh, because our God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, uh, that Christ is the Word made flesh, and so it is important that we speak clearly and precisely uh, with well-defined terms uh, so that the gospel may be clearly proclaimed and that the Spirit uh, may triumph in the hearts of sinners. Uh, well, today I am joined uh, by the Reverend George Sayor. Hello, and, hello. Uh, the Reverend Job DeLumba. Uh, Job, you've been on before. You're in uh, Woodstock, uh, Georgia, Northwest Georgia Presbytery. Is that right? That's correct. Still there. They haven't They haven't run you off. Not as far as I know. Okay. I think people are actually running to your church. Uh, I hear you're, you're getting some, some great uh, great folks visiting and joining. Yes. Yeah, we had a, uh, We are growing. It's in August. It, uh, Woodstock is, uh, seems to have people moving in, school and new things, and we've had new people in town uh, even the last three or four Sundays. Uh, PCA or Reform folk just looking to, they're here now and they're settling in because our our county is the fastest growing county percentage wise in the metro atlanta area um, well that is that's great yeah and, it's good and um we're even have some people we know uh that we've known for a couple of years now that are uh coming becoming new to reform faith and presbyterian think thinking and uh, so it's really exciting it really is the lord grows his church through the ordinary means of grace just as he promises that he would. Absolutely. And then we're also joined uh, by uh, teaching editor George Sayor. George, you're in North Carolina now, but originally from Florida or New York? I, I can't tell. <laughs> yes. I Well, South Florida is uh, one of the boroughs of New York. That's so right. my, uh, my parents were from Brooklyn and I got a lot of New York in me. But yeah, I grew up in South Florida and uh, but now I'm in North Carolina. That's right. Uh, just south of Winston-Salem and, and north of Charlotte. So thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for being on. And, and you're at one of the uh, old RPCES churches, is that right? Uh, that it, that came into the PCA in, was it 80, 82, 84? Something yes. In the early early to mid-80s? Yes, yes. So we've had, we, we, we started in the PCUS almost 80 years ago, then the uh, RPCES, and then we came in with joining and receiving. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, hey, George, can I ask a question? Yes. Are you a Yankees or a Mets fan? I was a Mets fan. And I say was, I just don't follow baseball anymore. Yes, but growing up and, you know, like the 1986 Mets were just awesome for a, a young elementary school kid to follow. And I, and, and being in South Florida with the spring training, I got to meet Gary Carter and oh, Dwight, Dwight Gooden and all these guys. It was awesome. Well, fun. well you just made Jim Cassidy of OPC fame happy. <laughs> okay. Well, George, you wrote an article, um, was it 18 months ago? It's a while ago, yes. But it was it was recently number three on the uh, top articles of the week on the Aquila Report. No, number three was there. Who was number two? Uh, I think his name rhymes with Brian Reese. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, so number three, not bad, not bad, especially for an eighteen-month-old article. That's right. Um, 
which uh, was a superb uh, uh, highlighting of uh, some of the issues that we have ongoing in the PCA. But also, I thought, reading it again after 18 months, that some things have changed. And the PCA is noticeably better uh, now uh, than it was uh, when, you are, when you wrote this article. Yes. You know, the, the Lord has been... And I keep saying this, but so kind to the PCA over 50 years, and especially over the last five years, we've really seen, uh, at least I've seen, uh, Job, you've been in the PCA for about five minutes, so. <laughs> ever, but ever since you came into the PCA, things have been uh, moving in a more uh, solidly confessional direction. Yeah, I joined the PCA as just a member about GA 2018, and I'm just going to say it's only been uphill since. So you're welcome. Yeah, I, I just wonder, why didn't you join the PCA in 2010? Uh, that's a whole podcast. <laughs> well, you know, everybody's starting a podcast in the PCA now, so I guess you've got you've got to start one and, and tell us your story, as they yeah, say. Yeah, that's only one episode, though. We could maybe have a whole feed for one. <laughs> uh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's move into this, uh, this article uh, that uh, George has written. Uh, you highlight a, a significant issue uh, that I've encountered, uh, that people have said a number of times. Uh, I'm sure we've all heard it. Uh, you know, we, we don't disagree on the substance. We just disagree on uh, the language. And so at the end there, George, you say, well, some people are going to say this is alarmist. Uh, so what I'd like to do is, you know, you don't give many examples. Uh, I think you give one notable example, which has departed uh, the PCA, but you don't give a lot of examples. So I'd like uh, to consider, you know, is this an example of one of the things you were talking about? So, Ry, do you want to, is there a point where you want to talk about why I wrote it or do you want to get to that on your outline later? Or? Yeah, let's, you know, why, why did you write this? You know, this is the age of authenticity, right? Everybody wants to be authentic, but here you are saying that, well, people are using language that's really not sincere. Um, yeah. Well, and, and, I, I, and, and the reason I asked the, the reason I asked that is because you, you kind of brought it up in that little intro uh, right there. Just that we, we say everybody is saying we agree and we don't agree. And so the, the number of times and meetings I was having two years ago leading up to this article where we don't agree on things, but people are saying we agree, we agree. And we, you know, I, I've done. I can't count how many lunches and coffees and breakfasts with with guys on the uh, other side of the aisle on the on these issues. And we leave there with them fervently trying to convince me that we agree on the confession and we agree on the ARC report and we agree on all these things. And then when the rubber meets the road, when in in the practicality of life, we disagree on how these things play out in all areas of 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 Christians lives and ministry. And I just I, I just want you to stop. Do me the dignity of stop telling me we agree. You can't tell me we have the same understanding and agreement on the ARC report for human sexuality and say you believe that what Greg Johnson is doing is fine and what I believe he's doing is not fine. So we don't we don't agree. And uh, and, and that's what really kind of prompted the, the article. I have no idea why uh, the Aquila report chose to run it 18 months. My my email and and. Uh, my website was blowing up from it. I, didn't, I had no idea until you said something, you texted me and I go, why is everybody talking about this <laughs> year and a half old 
thing I wrote that I've largely forgotten about. And it was because he had run it and then Jude three ran it. And then you asked me to be on this. And um, I, I was a little hesitant about it. Cause I'm not my, my, if you go to my website, I I'm not trying to be di divisive, but this, this article was very, was very pointed. So. Well, I don't think this is divisive. We have to know where the boundaries are. We have to have a shared dictionary. Uh, as I think the late Harry Reader uh, would would say, mm. uh, in order to be united, and we have to know where we stand. Now, Job, you came in from the the Baptist world, as I recall, and you know people were saying, "Well, we agree on baptism," and what they mean is that you should use water. Uh, but what they don't, what they're not saying is, "Well, we disagree on how much to use, who the subject is, and how to do it." Uh, we we don't we don't agree with our, our Baptist brothers on what baptism is, right? So we, we have to have some clarity in right. order to have unity. Yeah, yeah, and and that's it's always a major sticking point that we're not, at least the, in normalcy, we're not declaring each other not a Christian for if these differences on baptism between Baptists and Presbyterians. Uh, we I, I'm I'm thankful we're not. Uh, because that would be the worst way to handle it, would be to declare our Baptist brothers, or and vice versa, uh, not Christians. But, you know, there was always a debate, uh, at least when I was there, about, you know, can over Presbyterian baptism, or not just Presbyterian, but those uh, sprinkled or uh, poured or baptized infants, could they even be uh, members of churches or come in as members? Could they take communion? And um, it was very complicated. And I remember feeling it then, even when I was not even real convinced of pedo-baptism, that it's like, this just seems odd. But I appreciated the fact that they, he's like, no, this is what we do. This is what it means to be a Baptist and how we understand it. And so yeah. we could operate out of that. And I think that's right. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with their stance on restricting people, but I at least I appreciate what often is done in Baptist churches is, hey, can we, uh, can we just agree to be who we are and practice in light of that? Mm. And, you know, we're, we're, we'll get to it in a moment. We're not talking about differences with other denominations. We're talking about differences within the PCA. And, you know, with, uh, I think this organization has, you know, ceased operating uh, the Together for the Gospel. They had huge disagreements on, again, this issue of baptism, but they would talk about it. And because they loved each other, they talked about their differences. And so even within the PCA, I think because we love each other, because we desire greater unity, we need to talk about the areas in which we disagree, especially since what we disagree on is defined by our Book of Church Order. That's right. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you say in this, uh, in this article, George, um, the two wings of the PCA are completely divided on uh, women deacons, women preachers, uh, human sexuality as it relates to identity, appropriate missional posture, revoice, CRT, side B gay Christianity, and clarity of speech. That's, uh, that's a big <laughs> disagreement. Uh, and I, I wonder if uh, one of the things that as we continue to talk today, if we won't see is that we've come together uh, somewhat as a denomination on some of these issues at least, maybe not all of them, but some of them. I agree. Yes. So let's let's just you know run down some of the uh, examples that I thought of as I read your article, and y'all can can uh, highlight it. Um, 
you know, that George, I don't think you're being alarmist, uh, but you know, we we disagree on intention. Uh, there are some, and we'll we'll talk about this in in a little bit, perhaps, uh, who believe that we can have uh, a broad change to the way the Book of Church Order defines what is to happen at the table. Now, we disagree on whether to ordain deacons still. Um, we disagree on what the role and calling uh, with uh, regard to women and men is, both unordained men as well as women. Um, and, you know, why does this matter? You know, some have said uh, that it's because we're anxious, uh, that we have a psychological defect uh, similar to what they said about Machen, that he was temperamentally defective, that uh, some have said, well, we're just psychologically defective. We can't handle differences. But, and, and you brothers can speak for yourselves whether you're psychologically defective. Uh, but, but for me, it's a matter of integrity, uh, that we have agreed to follow the book of church order. And when brothers are with one you know, hand saying, I do, uh, to follow the book of church order, but within the other, with the rest of, of, of their ministry, uh, they're engaging in these innovative or non-reform practices. It's not that I have a problem with differences. Or some of my best friends have not been Presbyterian. Some of my best friends have not been Reformed. It's that I have a problem trusting someone who says one thing and does another. So, uh, George, is it, uh, what, what, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, these differences? Is, is it anxiety on our side? Job, is this something we just need to get over? No. <laughs> no. Um, it's not anxiety. It's not something to get. Some things you can just get over, but this is not it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's about the fact that we have a constitution and we, we supposedly – uh, subscribe to the standards and agree to follow our polity in the BCO. And so when when men are, you know, in the article, I call it loophole legalism, when they when they look for ways around what it says, which a clear reading of the thing w- would tell you is is a violation, but because they've created some nuanced loophole that that allows them to do it, which clearly is not the the spirit of the law, that then gives me less confidence that when we're having discussions about human sexuality or uh, egalitarianism or whatever, that we're not in agreement on on those things, even though they say we're in agreement. So if they can read you know, the clear instructions in the BCO and then not follow them because there's an, as I've been told, an ongoing conversation in the PCA. Well, the ongoing, I mean, that, that almost sounds to me like, like Roman Catholic uh, logic on, on how the tradition of the church then informs truth. Like, well, because an ongoing, there's an ongoing conversation that trumps our constitution. When did that happen? Like, so no, I, I don't. I don't think it's alarmist. I, you know, I, I have friends in the ARP. We we know people that have gone to the ARP, and I've heard you know this repeated sort of. Yeah, but the ARP allows you to have ordained deacons, women deacons, and I said, wait a minute. I I am much more comfortable in a in a system that says you your session has to make that decision for themselves. But if they decide it's allowed than a system like ours that says it's not allowed, but you have all kinds of churches doing it because they, they're using a different word or, or right. maybe in some cases they're not, you know? And so, no. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's just look at this uh, matter of, 
intention uh, and you know there's there's specific very specific instructions uh, in the book of church order which must be followed now i had a great chat with david cassidy not uh, that long ago on the podcast and and i said well you can't differ from the bco and he said well you can differ from it in the sense that we can change it but right, this is our agreed upon way that we're operating. So right. there may be an ongoing conversation about what the Lord's Supper is or how it is to be performed. But what the Book of Church Order says is bread and wine set apart. Uh, there, the minister is to take the bread, break it, and view the people, and it's to say some things, and then the bread's to be distributed. And then later, after, uh, he's to take the cup and give it to the people then. And so, intention, the idea that you're going to take two elements of the sacrament and make one and sort of scoop the wine into your mouth with the bread and have this sacramental mush, uh, <laughs> that is, uh, that's an issue of integrity. Because what we said we're going to do uh, is not being done. And, you know, some presbyteries will allow that. Other Presbyteries will not. Uh, Job, do you have any uh, intinctors in, uh, in Northwest Georgia Presbytery? I don't believe so. We had a conversation in Presbytery about it oh, a couple of times back. I'm not sure when. And um, it was dealt with well. It was discussed and over if, if it's allowed. Um, but it was ultimately um, brought to a point that it would, be, it would not be practiced and understood that this uh whatever one might think of the practice it's not to be done so mm. it's very uh if it's happening i'm not aware of it yeah and you know if it is happening uh men are free to amend the book of church order they yeah. can bring uh an overture from a session to the presbytery to uh, the general assembly and we can we can make a 58.5 not binding uh, or we can include language in there that gives wider latitude to whether guys want to practice intention or uh, do it the way Jesus told us to do it with bread and wine, to take and eat and take and drink. You know, my, uh, you know, my concern is you know, guys who, who think they know better than Jesus. And, you know, and, and also that's you know, with what the elements are in and of themselves, right? How Jesus instituted bread and Grape juice, <laughs> bread and wine, yeah. with 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 the supper, and so when we when we use this new thing that some Methodist in the nineteenth century invented, Welch's grape juice, you know, there again, is it because we think we know better than Jesus that we are changing uh, the element? Uh, but it's not just uh, the sacraments that we have this disagreement over. Um, one of the things you say in your article, George, is we don't even agree on what words mean, let alone complex systems of doctrine or AIC reports that simply provide uh, guidance. Uh, so uh, one of the issues that's, uh, that has come up uh, fairly recently was over uh, Covenant College and uh, what went on in their uh, chapel program. Uh, now this is what the language uh, used to be on their uh, on their chapel website, the primary activity of chapel is the reading and preaching of Scripture. Um, and you may ask, why do we place such importance on the regular reading and preaching of Scripture? Uh, and then they uh, later on, they, they changed it to a time of corporate worship. Uh, but this is the language that's currently on uh, their uh, chapel website. 
that they get together, right? Uh, the community comes together Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, so they've changed uh, the language uh, so that they don't call it corporate worship and they don't call it preaching, uh, which opens up uh, the dais, uh, the podium uh, to women and other unordained men to exposit the scripture. Uh, so do you think this is an improvement or uh, what, what, uh, how, how would you interpret this change, uh, George? Well, I, you know, the change, what precipitated the change was people, people raising the issue to, to covenant and in their defense. And I mean, just for transparency, they said it was a website glitch and the change had already occurred. Uh, and, and and what I would say is there were more, there was more language even to that extent. It talked about expository preaching and a time of worship again. And uh, whether whether the change came before we raised issues or after we raised issues is irrelevant. You you don't change what a thing is by changing its name. Mm. You know, it's uh you know, like I have a dog and and Camo, my dog is still my dog even if tomorrow I start saying he's a cat. You know. And so, you know, it's it's a it's a gathered assembly of Christians where the authoritative preaching or teaching of the word is taking place. And Paul's clear on that, you know, and of course they would say he's not clear on it. But I actually spoke with with members of Covenant College, at uh, the church relations person on this very issue. He called me on it because he. Uh, that he saw some of the debate that was going on online. And and uh, I just said, you know, I raise my kids very intentionally and believe in the idea of a covenant home and the covenant community and raise them in my home to believe a certain thing, raise them in our churches to believe a certain thing. Am I going to send them to my denominational college so they that can, that can be undone because there's word games going on at our denominational college? So no, I'm not, you know? And so that, I mean, I, that's how strongly I feel about this. And so whether that makes me an extremist or not, but is it any surprise then if all they have to do is change a word on a website and now a woman preaching to them is no longer a woman preaching to them that they kids nowadays want to go off to, you know, egalitarian churches. And it's also tied into the fact that, you know, I, I can on the one hand say, okay, fine, it's not preaching. It's not a deacon. It's not corporate worship. But on the other hand, I want to say, okay, stop calling it that then if that's not what it is. But as you said, but it is that. And it is that by what standard? And that would be our BCO. It would be who we are as a denomination and how we understand things. That if this is a branch of the church and part of what we do as a church, the wider church, the denomination, then Covenant College, when it has these things, and if it's going to be a worship service, then in these ways, it needs to be expected to adhere to that. Or uh, perhaps what's needed is for uh, the Covenant College faculty, and maybe they've done this, uh, uh, faculty or administration is to say, you know, fellow Scots, you know, this is not a worship service, and here's why. Our position on preaching, our position on worship is this. You know, we are a PCA institution. And so we want to explain to you, you know, yes, you might uh, non-technically refer to this as worship, but we want to, we want to help you understand that this is not worship. Uh, and maybe they've done that, and maybe that was part of the language update on the uh, website. 
I don't know, but that would certainly be helpful in assuaging some of these uh, concerns. You know, some, some, but not all, because we, why are we limiting the authoritative preaching of the word to assembled Christians to what we call a worship service? Like the, even the women, the, the, the women in ministry report in 2017 doesn't limit it to that. So, but yeah, at least we'd understand what, what, how they're making the decisions they're making, but I still argue it's just, just not valid. Right. Because if it's a, uh, it, it is teaching something either way, hmm. you know, if, if you're going, if it's just a PCA, um, institution and it's called chapel, which again, no one is saying that the chapel service is one and the same and equal to, well, at least I don't know. Well, so, so, so this is, this is page 21 of the women in ministry AIC report. And, and we know um, our progressive friends in the PCA and the Brian Chapel sense of the word love their AIC reports. So this is what it says. Regarding authoritative teaching, this apostolic mandate is to be implemented consistently in the life and leadership of the local church. The implementation begins with, but is not limited to, the called services of divine worship. And was that 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 was received at the West uh, the uh, Greensboro 45th, 45th yeah. GA 45th. So that was in Greensboro. That was in your Presbytery, wasn't it? Oh, that's interesting. I guess so. Yeah, it would be before my day. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You haven't been there. Uh, as, as long as I four and a half years, uh, yeah. four and a half years. That's right. Um, so this might be an area in which things are improving, but there's there's room uh, to go. Uh, let's let's stay on this uh, this subject. Um, well, Coven Covenant College is its own thing, right? I mean, but like definitely, probably where you're going is just where it's happening in our in our pulpits. In this, I don't even want to say ours, but within the denomination, and I can think of three particular cases that. Uh, it's being addressed, which is a good thing. So, yeah. Well, yeah. if I just add one more thought, yeah, it goes back to the changing of words. Like when you hear chapel, you you know it's not a Sunday morning worship service, but you know what it means, and you know that a chapel and what it means historically is a time that is going to have a teaching of the Word of God, and typically by someone given to that or a professor of theology or, or some nature that this is what they, that they're there to do to teach you the word of God and for your heart and for your life. And we we're again, we're now we're changing what chapel means. And I, yes, I, I'm not. And again, I'm not arguing that chapel has to be held up in every way to the Sunday morning worship service, but it's of the same nature to say, okay, so now chapel gets to be changed too. And maybe what? Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. No, that was it. That was it. Okay. And maybe what we need to encourage uh, the college to do is present chapel as a model for what these young people should be seeking in the church going forward. I know that not everybody who is at Covenant College is Presbyterian. I know they're not all PCA or OPC. But maybe what we should consider is at Covenant College we have an opportunity to form these folks coming out of broad evangelicalism or maybe no Christianity at all and show them this is what you should expect yeah. uh, from church and from worship. Our, our RUF campus minister does a really good job of this and has asked, the, I'm on the committee, and he's asked the committee for help on that question. How can I use the RUF um, uh, big big group? I'm sorry, I don't know the name. The main call big group or large group or big, big group sounds 
facility. Hopefully that's not, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but large group. Yeah, that's it. So when they have their large group meeting, he was asking what would be the best way to provide a substantive time that would, of course, not be a worship service, but would be good for those who are not in the reform background to understand what we do and would be good for those who are and would, uh, how do you do that? And we spent a good portion of time talking about that. And so it was encouraging for him and for us to see that he's wow. making it clear this is not a worship service, uh, but he's using what is good there, what can be translated over in that sense to that time. And I think it's it'll be effective. Yeah. To, to, to your point, Ryan, about like modeling it, I mean, isn't that what our kids would think anyway? So, so how do you respond to your kid who goes there and then they come back and say, hey, dad, how come it's okay for a woman to preach to me at college, but we don't allow women to come in and preach in, in the, on a Sunday service? I mean, like, what, what, like, what's the answer to that? Yeah, well, I we would, call, <laughs> go ahead. I would think the administration, the chaplain needs to either set up clearer boundaries and explain, use it, this as an opportunity. When I was at Grove City College, not that Grove City College is uh, the greatest undergraduate institution in the country, but it is. And <laughs> I, would, I was I would, impressed. I was impressed <laughs> with it. I, I, we vi- you know, we visited. It was a great, I know, it was a great I know. experience. But our, our dean of chapel, who is a PCUSA minister, um, and but you know he was he was a godly man. He was a Christian. This was remember this was 15, 20 years ago, uh, and he at the first chapel service of the year would very often tell us what chapel is. And he would say, this is not church. He would say, and this is the PCUSA, remember, what we are doing here is not meant to replace or replicate or even prepare you to understand uh, church. He would, you know, sometimes we would have clowns for Christ in there and they would come in on their unicycles. That was only 20 minutes, it was different. Uh, But there was a clearer distinction to make us as undergraduates and little uh, heads full of mush understand this is not church. I should not expect church to be like chapel. And so they did that at Grove City College. Maybe uh, that's something for Covenant College to consider. That explain, if you don't want this to be preparing people to understand what church should be and what worship should be, then make it explicit. And I think if they did that, it would be great because it would allow an open discussion of why do we want to make it less than it has been or make it different? What was yeah. so bad about what was happening? You know, and if there were real things that were bad, the teaching was terrible, music choices or anything like that terrible, great, fix it. Again, we do this in our worship services, don't we? We've said before, you know, how often do we look at our liturgies and different things and say, this is just not working. This is not an accord or it's an accord, but it's, not fruitful, profit, whatever it might be. Have that conversation. Have the discussion of, is this actually profitable and it's going to be better than what we were doing? And But yet, that's often, we know that's not often the case when someone wants to change it. Instead of out and out saying, oh, we're, we don't like what's going on, let's fix it. They just want to redefine the word. Or, or change the words on the website. So Yeah, or change something slightly but it's it's a massive change all at the same time <laughs> yeah so i think you know we, we can see some progress that there is at least a recognition uh that women and unordained people expounding uh the scripture is not preaching and uh, that uh 
that we can't call that worship or that we shouldn't. But one of the things you say in your article, uh, George, is seeing the letter of the law in our standards, the BCO, our uh, study committee reports and scripture itself, and then looking for uh, ways to do what one wants to do is pharisaical legalism. It is legalistic to look for workarounds, loopholes, and wiggle room to do mission. No amount of law or guidance will prevent a legalist from pursuing these things. And one of the things that really struck me there is how you emphasize that legalism isn't being strict. Legalism is actually looking for that workaround uh, for, for latitude. Yeah, I think we, you know, we see Jesus saying this in multiple examples about how the Pharisees didn't do what they were supposed to do because they looked for ways to do what they wanted to do and use the law to do that. And, you know, in one, when we had the first round of overtures and, and our presbytery discussed them, they brought in a, to, to host this discussion um, that was supposed to be um, unbiased, but they brought in somebody at, who, who's an advocate for uh, not having these overtures. And, and uh, one of the presbyters talked about being legalistic and reading things legalistically. And that's when I said, well, there's, there's two sides to the legalism coin. And then I, I brought this side up, you know, so coming up with ways to do things that don't honor the letter of, uh, that don't honor the spirit of the law is just as legalistic as rigidly holding to the letter of the law and, and ignoring the spirit of law. Hmm. Well, let's, let's continue on this preaching vein. Um, so in the, the Presbyterian Church in America, women are not allowed uh, to preach. Um, but what we've seen uh, in recent years, particularly is a number of congregations and church plants who were affiliated with the PCA departing because they want to have women preaching, teaching, exercising authority, and so they leave the PCA. But what about an instance in which a PCA person uh, a lady in the PCA goes to another denomination and preaches. Uh, let me let me get your thoughts on this. Uh, stand by. I'm so thankful to Sharon for lifting up the primary text that I am going to be preaching from this morning. But I want to read a little bit more, if you don't mind. And I'll try to read it well, so it won't bore you. Okay, I will do my very best. But it comes from Amos chapter 5, and I think we need some real context, and I think if you lean in close, Amos chapter 5 is going to feel familiar to you, eerily, sadly familiar to you. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you are the words of the prophet Amos. Fallen is virgin Israel. Well, there we have uh, the wife of a PCA teaching elder going into a congregation on the Lord's Day, uh, Mosaic Church Waco, I think it was, and opening up the scripture, expounding it, and I think she said the text I'm going to be preaching from. Yeah, she said that, yeah. Well, isn't that an interesting use of language uh, that, yes, we as the PCA would affirm a woman may not preach, but a PCA... Uh, the wife of a PCA teaching elder can go and preach at a different uh, church. That's certainly creative. Yeah, uh, and I, I I love the example that you're how you're associating that with this this uh, Pharisaical loophole legalism because 
this actually goes on quite a bit in the PCA where we, we agree to certain things and we say we believe these things, but then people feel the freedom to do them as long as they're not doing them within the context of the PCA. And then that really calls into question if you really believe what you say you believe. And so you see this a lot with, with certain uh, churches that will plant non-PCA egalitarian churches, for instance. I'm not talking about just supporting a non-PCA church, which you know a lot of our mission budgets may do, perhaps. Yeah. But like actually being the mother church to an egalitarian non-PCA church, like that should be totally out of the, out of bounds for a PCA church. And 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 this this is that example. So she's not preaching in a PCA church, so it must make it okay. But then what what's going on in the thinking of this member? if she thinks she can go and preach at other churches, what's going on in the thinking of her husband's presbytery? If you have the wives of presbyters going around to non PCA churches and saying that they're preaching Uh, now, uh, maybe, you know, maybe this is one area in which we are improving Uh, the, that congregation announced or the the elders of that congregation announced uh, a week or two ago that they're going to enter into a season of discernment about leaving the PCA uh, over this issue, and, and I'm sure others, perhaps, but maybe this is an area in which we are becoming clearer uh, that women preaching is not an area in which we can uh, agree to disagree. Job, would this fly in the Northwest Georgia Presbytery? <laughs> no, no, it would not. And it doesn't fly, even though it doesn't happen here. Uh, these things are bothersome. Uh, because we're Presbyterian, you know, one of the things I try to stress to the new folks is to say, you know, this, this, our Christ covenant is your church, but you are a congregation of a wider body. Mm. It's good joke. The PCA yeah. is your church yeah. and mm. in a, in a way that's hard to comprehend and understand, maybe even explain at times. These are our pastors in a sense, you know, these are guys that our church is ordained. And this affects all of us, and so it's it uh, it's bothersome that it happens, and it needs to be addressed. And we have a way of doing that, yes. But it bothers me because again, it's saying that you know it, this this household is seems like it's accepted that women can preach in a public worship service. That's a views change. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you said, I, I love the connection to the church because that, that is why it matters. Because if we have to answer our congregants why we can't do something and another church in the, in the PCA is doing something, I mean, we, we stand on our constitution. Not that our constitution is, is scripture. Nobody's saying that. But that's our agreed upon how we're going to do things. And as soon as you open the door to being loose and finding loopholes or whatever you want to do to be able to do what you want to do. Well, why not do that with everything? And then how do we support that to our, to our members? So it it doesn't promote unity. And O Palmer Robertson had just a great uh, line in this report he wrote on intention for our presbytery that he said I could share. Uh, I, I don't have the line pulled up, but essentially is whenever a new, a new, practice is introduced into an existing call it system it has the ability and and reasonably to cause division Mm. and we ought to be avoiding that 
you that's know. a T. David Gordon's book on media talks about this. That when you have a media ecology, you know, you, if you have an environment and you introduce a new creature, you know, a new bug or whatever into that, you don't have that same ecology plus the bug. Ah, it's different. You have a new ecosystem. You have a new yes. ecosystem, and it will change that. It might be for the better, but it might not be. Right. And if you and that's exactly what's happening here. We had an ecology. We have a way, and now. He said, well, we have what? 50, so we have 1,500 churches, and one church starts practicing intention. One church lets their uh, lets women read the scriptures. You know, the, the, does that all of a sudden, do we have the same church plus a woman reading scripture? We instantly have something out of accord in our ecology, in our ecosystem. Yeah. And we, Why? And we want to. We want to be clear that you know she wasn't reading scripture or preaching in a PCA church, but right. the issue is we have an elder's wife going and preaching in a non-PCA church, which reflects on the PCA. Right, and does this and teaching household. elder does this teaching elder now change his views? I mean, that had to be preaching, but wouldn't there be something that if our something in our household happened, any of our households happened? that we would say, that seems to be against how we understand ministers, the confession standards, whatever. That mm-hmm. you're doing something that, while it may not technically be mentioned, you're, you've got something going on there. What is that? Have your views changed? It's a real question. See, I mean, I don't know how it could be. I mean, imagine if your guys' wives came to you and said, I think I'm going to preach at the Methodist church you know, next week. And they said, well, because I, uh, they, they don't hear the gospel a lot. It's a, you know, I've made friends with somebody that's a liberal Methodist church or fill in the blank, whatever we want to say. It doesn't have to be Methodist. Um, but, and you went and said, dear, I'm so thankful that you want to share the gospel with people who don't know it. <laughs> you are not authorized to do that in this particular setting. Right. And, and it's not a matter to be clear. It's not a matter of giftedness or skill. Right. There, there are, I, I know women are as intelligent or more intelligent than men. I know they're better communicators in some cases. It, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about God's creational patterns and order right. and, um, and, 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 and our agreements on, on that. We either are a denomination or not a denomination. And when, when my article resurfaced again, and I was getting weird sort of responses and I didn't know where they were coming from. One, one, one person in, in particular, I don't remember who it was, was just like, you know, and you talk about this women preachers. And so great. It happened in one church in New York and it's, and it's being dealt with. And really that put a lot of perspective for me. I said, well, first of all, to, to myself and to you guys now, you know, this was written 18 months ago. And why did the Metro New York thing become a thing for RPR and everything else because people shined a spotlight on it. Metro New York didn't have an investigation coming out of Metro New York. It happened because it was all made public and people were talking about it and they investigated and they chose not to do anything about it. And now RPR step in. And so, but it isn't just one church. It's South it's churches in South Florida that are now leaving a a large network of of churches over this issue. It's uh, this speaker and her husband's church or church plant that is is going to leave and, and it's covenant, contemplating leave. We don't contemplating right leave. right it's covenant college that that has so 
things like my article or like this podcast or or whatever. Yes, I understand we have to do things in a certain proper way, but but there comes a time where there needs to be a spotlight, light shining into the hidden things that are going on such that there can be more clarity added and things can be dealt with. And I think I think the Metro New York thing, rather than being um, just an anecdote, proves sort of that sometimes this is needed. <laughs> well, that's you know you've referenced the Metro New York uh, matter. That's that's different. Again, it's not a woman who says that she's preaching, but it's uh, or a PCA woman. It's an Episcopalian priestess coming into a PCA church and teaching. Uh, let's watch a few clips from uh, from that. The words of St. Paul in the 11th chapter to the Romans. I'm going to stop there and read the last part of it at the end of my teaching. I'm going to read you a, par a paragraph from the Calvinist theologian Karl Barth. My guess is that most of you know Barth only by hearsay. I hope I'm not doing you an injustice by saying that. He has never caught on in the American churches, except for a select few of theologians and pastors who, as it happens, are my colleagues. I believe that if American theological education was more attentive to Bart, we would not find ourselves in the fix we're in with self-righteousness ruling on both the right and the left in the churches. Now, I can't speak for you, but when I wake up in the morning, Within minutes, I am the same old sinner that I was when I went to sleep. The same selfish concerns, bad habits, and resentful thoughts. Now, the verse does hold a hope for every person every morning, and that's in Scripture, too. New, every morning is the love our waking and uprising proves. But ultimately, dear friends, this is eschatological meaning, meaning that it looks forward to the kingdom of God pure and fresh and sinless. And the Lamb is on the throne above the sapphire pavement. And the river of life is throwing, flowing through the city. And morning has broken like the first morning. And we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. For he has fully paid for all the sin of the world and has gathered us into his eternal wedding feast. We are truly free, free forever in him free in his love and the joy of his presence and the joy of one another, free from jealousy and greed, free from fear and insecurity, free from our worst selves, free to be our best selves, free, in the words of the Westminster Catechism, free to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Trinity Presbyterian Church exists to celebrate Jesus Christ and to serve our communities in his name. Uh, well, I, I didn't include as many transitions in there as would have been helpful, but there's just some snippets from uh, the teaching uh, that Mrs. Rutledge uh, gave at uh, Trinity uh, Church up there in New York. And, you know, she's a, a, a scholar. I could listen to her talk all day. I mean, what, uh, what, what great diction, great uh, enunciation. Uh, but there is an instance in which a PCA church invites 
a lady ordained uh, ostensibly in a different faith communion, and they don't call it preaching. Uh, they just call it teaching. What, what well, is this? Well, you know, and, and again, I, I never understood this distinction in the PCA between preaching and teaching. I mean, as a pastor, I know what the difference is. But Paul's prohibition, where we get this whole thing from to begin with, is I do not permit a woman to teach. He doesn't use the word <laughs> preach. So I, I, don't, I don't understand that either. But, you know, when, when this happened, um, I just remember there was a lot of dialogue online about it. And I had somebody tell me, well, let's wait. Let's wait to see how they explain this. And I said, I don't need an explanation to know what I've just seen. Now they can, they can offer, you know, I, I yeah, I'll give them, do the dignity to explain how it came to this. But a woman just preached during their corporate worship service, which, which is what we knew. And once again, changing it to a Sunday school class, which I think is what they called it, well, even though Bible the study, uh, right. even though the Lord's Supper was served, right? Even so. though the Lord's Supper, right, right, does it? Oh, and then some people said, oh, it was a it was a Bible study. I mean, I, it's like not really? helping, not helping, right. right? But there, I think you may see some, for instances, of, of postmodernism that well, we can call it teaching. We can call it a Bible study and do the same thing, but that makes it okay. Um, and it is postmodern, and my article goes through some of that too. It's there, yes. there, it, it, because what, what's happening is these are postmodern linguistic games, like against logocentrism and just we can detach words from their actual meanings. We can detach what something is from what something is called and and it's it's just it, it's not clarity it's not peace it's not a god of order it's it's shouldn't shouldn't be happening in the pca well no, and I, I noticed this um now now you tell me ryan you may have clipped it it's possible but she read uh the scriptures she did yeah i i edited that out moving right yeah. so she read the scriptures but it is noted in PCA churches, and I would say um, I don't have a ton of experience with Episcopalian Anglican churches, but I think it's fairly common almost in every setting when the scriptures are read publicly, some, the, the, the one reading, don't we often say something effective, this is the word of the Lord? She didn't say that. Now, I guess I would ask the question, what I'm asking is, did she not say that because... She was told it's not, you know, teaching, which again, it goes to the fact that look at all the changes and little things that have to be adjusted to show that this is not a worship service. I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of that, but I guess, and I'm also coming from perspective that it bothers me as much in any of this is that we have non-ordained people reading the scriptures publicly. Mm. And this is uh, something that it because it's removing the linking of the reading of the word of God to the preaching, just like, you know, removing the preaching from the sacrament in a strange way, maybe not as intense, but it's still pretty bad. I don't know. I, I may be wrong. Forgive me if I'm insinuating something that's incorrect. But I, well, you know, and yeah. And remember, you know, there were, I, I was clipping here, there, you know, in, in order, but not, uh, didn't always put in a transition to okay. make it clear that this is an edit. 
But um, I don't know that we're required to say, you know, I always say, you know, th and thus far in God's holy inspired, inerrant word. Yeah, right. There's something like that. I don't know that we're required uh, to do that, but I also right. think uh, if, I, if memory serves, they didn't say this wasn't a worship service. And of course, the end of the video there said as much. Um, but what they said is it wasn't a sermon. It was just a Bible study. Well, there again, you don't understand that preaching is what happens in a worship service, not a Bible study. Yeah. And, and that's... That, but, well, you know, I, th I, think, I, think, I think that's how, you know, RPR dealt with it. And I wasn't in those meetings, and so anybody can correct me, but it was kind of a catch-22. If it, She's either preaching or you had communion without a sermon. Yeah. And, and it just shows the absurdity of the whole conversation, honestly. Right. Right. And RPR saw that and the assembly overwhelmingly agreed with that assessment. And so this is one of the instances in which I think we can clearly see the PCA moving in a more pure, uh, yes. more uh, faithful direction as we hold each other uh, to our vows. That's right. Yeah, and that's right. I, you may remember, and you know, I didn't clip anything from the debate on the floor, but some of the brothers from Metro New York said, well, we recognize there was a problem here. Well, let us deal with it. And of course, the counter to that was, Guys, you had two years to deal with this, and you didn't. Now is the time uh, for uh, the General Assembly uh, to put your house in order for you. Uh, so we are seeing some, some good movement on this issue. Uh, of course, not as fast as we would like, but let's be thankful that things do move slowly on the PCA so that we have more time to get it right, more time to show grace. And, and, and you know, the Lord has been abundantly patient. Uh, but it's not just uh, women preaching. It's also uh, confusion about church officers. And I think you allude to some of that in your uh, article. Uh, we have you know, a church in uh, Atlanta uh, that, says, uh, that says this. Does our denomination allow female deacons? Now, the Book of Church Order, uh, which governs decisions like that does not allow uh, women uh, to be ordained as uh, deacons. However, because many churches in our denomination, like ours, believe that the Bible does allow them to serve as deacons, they appoint or commission both male and female deacons rather than electing and ordaining them. This practice, which has been going on for decades, is kind of an open secret. <laughs> Every few years, elders at General Assembly make overtures that seek to either forbid this practice or make it official. But so far, none have succeeded. In the meantime, we are operating according to our best understanding of Scripture, which is our ultimate authority. Well, that was, um, that, that's, now this is again on their website, atlantawestside.org. Uh, so it's not like we're we're just we, it's not like we're exposing any secrets, um, but this is a creative use of language, a creative way of understanding the vows that we make to one another, isn't it? That the sure. Book of Church Order doesn't allow this, but we're going to kind of come up with a workaround, an open secret they call it. Um, yeah. And so they, they're they're so so they they've chosen they've chosen not to actually have a legal diaconate per the book of church order, which is a violation of the book of church yeah, order. They don't. They the don't only, yeah, let's 
the only reason the book of church order allows there not to be a diaconate is if there's not if they're not able to have one you know given that they don't have enough trained people or it's a small congregation or whatever in which case those responsibilities devolve to the the session so can a can a church that it says they actually have enough men to comprise a diaconate make the argument that they don't yeah you know, and here's another example. The following men and women are serving in these roles. What roles? Well, elder and deacon. Here's their. But it uh, says deacons. officers there too, right? Well, and th- there's another issue, isn't there? That they're calling um, these people officers. Let's look at what our. our what is an standard... officer but somebody who holds office? And what are the offices of the church? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, here's what our book of church order says about the deacon. Oh, there we go. The, the office of deacon. Is set forth in the scriptures as ordinary and perpetual. Uh, it's an office of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It expresses communion of saints. So our book of church order, which is our operating procedures manual, gives us a definition of deacon, the office of deacon, which is spiritual in nature. Uh, shall be chosen men of spiritual character, honest repute, exemplary lives, brotherly spirit, warm sympathies, and sound judgment. So that's how our book of church order defines deacon. But you have churches that define deacon this way. <laughs> Are we using a different book? What, there seems to be this disconnect in terms of what our book says and what some churches feel free uh, to practice. Does this promote unity? The opposite. I, 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 I don't understand. I, I, I honestly am confused as to how this promotes uh, unity, purity, and peace. Uh, this, is, this is not that we're anxious. This is a matter of integrity, that if you take a vow uh, to submit to the brethren and to operate in the way of the book of church order, well, this isn't the book of church order. Look at this. Upon those who bear, uh, whom God calls to bear office, he bestows suitable gifts for the discharge of the various duties. It is indispensable that besides possessing the gift necessary, uh, natural and acquired, everyone admitted to an office should be sound in faith and his life be according to godliness. Therefore, wherefore, every candidate for office is to be approved by the court to which he is, by which he is to be ordained. So do you have unordained church officers, according to the PCA Book of Church Order? No. You may not. You can't have an unordained officer. Those who have been called to church office in the church are to be inducted by the ordination of a court. And so you ha- if you have guys in your congregation, guys or gals, I suppose, men or women, who are calling themselves deacons but who have not been ordained, you don't have Presbyterian deacons. You have something else. And they're not voted on. And, and, and Job, you bring up an important point. The, the session there has deprived the congregation of the right to select her own office, Which is, her own deacons. It's so ironic because our, our scriptural view of deacons and how they come to be deacons is based upon being selected by the congregation. Now, what, I, what I mean by that is ironic is they said scripture, which is our ultimate authority and how they understand deacons. And yet the scripture says they're to be selected by the congregation. Yes, approved by the elders. And that's right. You know, uh, the elders trained to be examined. Well, yeah, right. Have to be examined. But they are to be selected by the congregation and to be set apart for ordination. So if scripture is your ultimate authority, then why are you in the process of choosing Break, we'll, we'll set aside whether or not females can be for just this discussion for that but it's like now you're saying 
the ultimate authority says women can be, but we're not going to do what the authority tells us, and we should have them selected by the congregation. They're appointed by the elders. Right. All right. And 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 something to. Uh, some to some churches some churches actually have the congregants nominate even the women. Yeah, and and you know, in a moment I want to talk about how this could be done lawfully, uh, but you know, to your point, Job. What we have agreed upon as the PCA is that the Book of Church Order and the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechisms, as well as the Confession, are, BCO 39.3, the standard expositions of the teaching of Scripture in relation to both faith and practice. So if you're going to say, well, the Scripture is our ultimate authority, well, yes, it is. But what have we agreed upon as the standard exposition of Scripture on these points? The Book of Church Order. That's right. So yeah. you don't get to say, well, I take a different view of that passage. Well, the Book of Church Order says you have to understand it this way, because the Book of Church Order is our agreed upon, is our standard exposition of Scripture. Yeah. Uh, Where in the BCO cites Scripture? Scripture? <laughs> scripture? Scripture? It, uh, it, it absolutely is. And, and to, you know, you asked about unity before, and I found that quote from Dr. Robertson. This oh, is thanks. just, this is genius. He says, whenever an agreed understanding is broken by the introduction of a teaching that has not been accepted element in the tradition, the unity so precious to Christ's church is in danger of being broken. In terms of the Presbyterian Church in America, our symbols of unity are the scriptures as our primary standard, the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms, and the Book of Church Order, our secondary standards. That's that's profound. If, yeah. uh, email that to me. Uh, if That'd be great to have. Yeah, well, well, he said I could share this. This was presented to our Presbytery as a, in this, by the way, regarding intinction, he he says, the testimony of Scripture, the Westminster Standards, and the Book of Church Order of the PCA all concur. The twice-repeated command of the Lord is clear. Respecting the bread, do this in remembrance of me. Respecting the cup with wine, do this in remembrance of me. The two elements are presented separately, received separately, and taken differently. Proper honor is best rendered to the Lord by conforming to his directions as he institutes the perpetual covenant meal on the night before his death. O'Palmer mm. Roberts in January 2023. I'm going to send you that. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry, I just hijacked your topic, but I, I found it. So. No, we, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. And um, how, to, how do we promote unity? Well, follow the scripture. And as subservient to the scripture, follow the book of church order because we have agreed to follow it uh, together. Now, there are brothers uh, in our denomination, elders in our denomination, who believe that... Um, women are called to diaconal roles and we have a mechanism for doing that right not to or not to call them deacons but uh, bco 97 it is often expedient that the session of a church should select and appoint godly men and women of the congregation to assist the deacons in uh, performing their duties and so these are not ordained people these are deacons assistants and so there's a mechanism for that if, if you want to have women serving in a diaconal role um, now, often they're called deaconesses. Now, I don't know what the male assistants to deacons are called, if you call the women deaconesses, but this can be done lawfully. Uh, one of the churches in the presbytery uh, in which I serve, they do this, and they do it very well. Right? You see on their website they have elders, they have deacons, and then they have deaconesses. And this is lawful. This is, this is fine. And they, they, they're very careful and clear. I admire their clarity here for how they, they say, well, these aren't officers. This is, and then they provide a link to 
uh, their study paper on, on women in ministry. This, a practice like this, I think is helping our unity because they're following our book. Uh, they're being clear in what they believe and what they practice. So this, this is a good sign, I think, uh, for the PCA. They're making full use of, of the provisions of our Book of Church Order. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we, we need women, our sisters in Christ, involved in diaconal issues, even, even in, in shepherding issues. I mean, you know, but that doesn't make them officers. Right, right. And, and our book is clear on that. They're not subjects for ordination. Uh, but speaking of ordination, we have another uh, issue in the PCA is what is a pastor and who may be a pastor? There are, uh, we have uh, at least uh, one church in an Atlanta area that has uh, a woman pastor. Really? Uh, uh, well, this isn't a woman pastor, but this is the, the, uh, the husband of a woman pastor. Scott is lead pastor of uh, City Church Eastside, uh, planted in the city of Atlanta, 2007. His wife, uh, Kirsten, on staff as pastor to women. Um, I never heard that's, of that. That's a that's a creative use of language, wouldn't you say? In the uh, in the PCA. Yeah, I mean, when here, is that, why does that uh, start? Where did that begin? Yeah, there it is. Uh, why why is this? I mean, I, I, again, it's taking saying, well, it is pastoring when you uh, when you do these things. It's like the title. The title is set aside for what would be considered the work or the type of thing you're doing and speak, making that and saying, well, what else would you call it if not pastoring? It's kind of an argument being made here. Um, and that's just not helpful at, at all because titles infer and tell us something. A senator, senator, I'm it's as if I've never heard of a senator in my life. I can't think of one. Uh, senator fill in the blank is a senator, and that tells you something of his position first. The position often tells you what you understand about what they do, or the title can do that many times. Mm -hmm. And in this case, a pastor tells you something about what they do because of what they're set apart to do. And this is clearly not been set apart. Surely, I would say, maybe surely has not been set apart by calling, voting, laying on of hands and such. Well, that's that's a question. Has has this person been no set idea. apart? I don't know. Yeah. But in the PCA, according that. to our Book of Church Order, a pastor is ordained. And so has this session ordained this woman to this office? I, I don't know. No. Um but that wouldn't be allowed. But I, I, I need to go on the record and say I didn't know how specific we were going to be getting in this, but uh, <laughs> just add that there. You know, I, I think right the um, and I was unaware of that of that case, and I don't know. This, I don't know. If this was aware. It was I, uh, eighteen months ago. If that, if that was out there, I don't know when you. Why? Well, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I was unaware of it at, at any given point. But I think I think what what this is, and and this really is because of post like a postmodern mindset use of language, is. You know what 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 our friends in the PCA are, are doing is they're using words in confusing way in ways that do confuse and in confusing ways and some of their argument I would I would assume is you know uh, 
the word for deacon in the Greek we know is, is the word for servant. And so it's used in, in multiple ways in the scriptures. And so the scriptures use these things in multiple ways. And so we're using them multiple ways. And the question I have is, do we actually believe in ordained call on somebody's life such that, that the elders lay hands on them and they are empowered into this office, this role, this calling? And if we do, like our people need to understand what that is and doing things like this is just games so that we can, we can like appeal to and appease an, an egalitarian society. And it's may, not helping maybe. add clarity to, it's not helping add clarity to, to what these things are, you know? And I had a conversation with a, with a pastor who's, who has a church that does this and not the past a woman pastor thing, but with the D the, the, women are called deacons and serve on the diaconate and I, I i presume have a vote in the diaconate and 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 his response to me was well we do this because we we want we want to you know engage the conversation so if people from the outside ask we'll explain it to them and people on the inside ask we'll explain it to them and i said well who's asking you're just you're just giving a perception because his argument would be is they're not ordained that's what he would that's what he would say if you dig deep enough but their website looks exactly like what you've you've shown for these others. And I just, I don't understand when the church of Jesus Christ became a church of, of obfuscation and confusion and, and not clarity. I mean, Jesus is the light and light is shine to bring clarity and uh, to clear the fog, not to add fog. <laughs> you well, know, I, yeah. well, and let, let me push back a, a little bit. Um, we're all pastors in the in the in the church where we all serve we're all servants we're all deacons in the church so maybe maybe what we're doing is just policing language is that maybe are, are we being unfair um is is this a bridge too far that we need to say well uh because there is the general office of all of every believer that we need to just allow for this right, right. yeah is or do we need to understand that there are technical terms that our book of church order uses that we need to reserve for technical situations? And often this comes up in, in ways that I'm sympathetic to and kind of seen and can agree to uh, that, for example, it's like, you know, there's needed help for uh, particular pastoral care, or care, soul care for women or for different types of people or, we need, and it's not being done. And I, I typically don't argue back against that. If I, if I don't know, I don't want to. But also, I'm like, okay, that that's, yeah. a, that's a problem. And I'm, and if that's a problem, it needs to be addressed. But we have to address it in a way that fits with what the scripture tells us is to be done. Hmm. And I would ask and say. You know, that's what we go to the pastoral epistles to so often, is that it's it's many things, but one of which is sort of the, the sticky, hard things of the life of the church. And it will guide us and help us on that. And it does not call us to say the way you're going to deal with this is you're going to set you need to set apart these particular kinds of people for these particular kinds of problems. Like, so women have to be set aside with the women or, or, or the whatever you want to come up with. And um, so I understand when they're bringing an issue to the front, but the solution 
is not it's it's only making it worse in many ways yeah you know language is in flux right language is always changing and we want to have women in the congregation served well and there are going to be godly men and godly women who are not ordained right. who can serve in pastoral roles but the idea which is reflected in our book of church order of a man set apart to the office of elder, to the office of deacon, is something that we should preserve. And even if language is in flux, you know, technical terms uh, don't change nearly uh, so quickly. You think of legal terms, or you think of medical terms. Those don't change uh, with, with the speed. Those aren't as fluid as words that we use outside, right? Um, and you know the church also needs her technical vocabulary and and needs to re respect that for unity for clarity what are some of the dangers to the sheep i thought of confusion uh, that you know somebody may not understand the nature of the office or may think we're unclear I thought about frustration yeah uh, people are frustrated uh, both ways actually um if we're going to, are there people that are, will be for female officers that might be frustrated? And, and there's people that don't want it that are frustrated. And so rather than, uh, there's no way that undermining and, and, and changing up and commissioning rather than ordaining is, is alleviating that frustration. Mm. And so the same would be on the other, the other frustration because you're, not you're not ordaining your commissioning so the frustration is is only increased rather than decreased yeah the, and this this promotes you know um discouragement i think yeah. uh if uh if you give someone a title that's meaningless is that going to encourage that person no is that going to encourage the flock that this is a serious matter i it, i don't know doesn't it also undermine confidence in God's word that people are being taught that if in it seems to me that often what's going on postmodernism has crept into the church is that it's not that everyone does what is right in their own eyes, but everyone does what is right in their own interpretation with the wow. scripture. That that's really what it is. Is that well? That's how I interpret the scripture. That's how I understand this. That's how I see that. And so your own interpretation wins. That is, that is not building confidence in people of what the Word of God says, that you have to find out for yourself the meaning and the interpretation of Scripture. And so the confidence of learning what the Scripture says is now almost in you entirely, rather than the help of the Holy Spirit, the clarity of Scripture, it's, uh, uh, how it's easy to understand. I mean, doesn't our confession make that case? That, perspicuity. Yeah, perspicuity. I, I could hear the word in my head, but I couldn't think of it. Um, it's undermining those doctrines and things of Scripture that people feel frustrated. Like, well, I don't know what to think. I don't know how to approach this, but it's kind of like, well, keep going. Maybe you'll get to that enlightenment it, point. Yeah, it's like it's like the the frustration is is like the rules are being made up as as you go, and it, we're 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 actually grounded in things, and we ought to mm. be providing grounding. And I think. You know, even, you you know, intinction, like I've told people, uh, I grew up uh, Eastern 
Catholic where, I mean, I, we, it actually was pedo communion. Um, and, it, and so, and it was intinction. And so I, I, I practiced intinction for the first, you know, 30 years of my life, uh, w- when I went to the, those churches, particularly with my parents, but even elsewhere. And so I'm not like, I understand intinction. I, I think it's wrong, but intinction to me, even in the PCA, isn't like the biggest problem, the, 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 the roof's on fire. And honestly, this, these games with the diaconate isn't the biggest issue for me in the PCA. The problem is the hermeneutic that, that allows these things is related to the hermeneutic that says, you know, side B gay Christianity is, is okay. And, and so you, you start to see a pattern between how things are being interpreted and what is happening and there's a relationship there and I, we just need to tighten them all up. We can't, we can't, even though like you can have a church that's doing some of the things we've discussed and, and be Orthodox in other areas, that's not justification for saying it's okay to do them. So I, yeah, there's confusion. There's frustration for the congregation on some of these things, maybe, but for me, the bigger concern is these are just related to the other issues that we've been, we've been dealing with that are, that are, are, are more, evidently serious and and harming. I think also it creates um, anxiousness in people in the church because they're watching, they might see it as we're watching a denomination that was so faithful slip. And what do we do? Because they can see it in the world and then they see it come to church. I mean, if you, you know, language is arguably postmodernism's greatest victory because they redefined and sort of won the victory. Um, they won the victory in a sense 50 years ago when they redefined a child in the womb not being a child. Hmm. But at Obergefell, they took the throne. And it rules and rules in our culture. And people in the church can see it. They see the shifts. They've, they've lived long enough, they see the shifts in language. And that it's now the rule is things can be changed. And so they're anxious because they see it happening in the world. And then they come to church like, okay, I've I've seen words be redefined. Marriage used to mean this, but now in the world it doesn't. And now you're saying it means this and that. You're changing this, you're changing that. But you're and you're read but not by saying, No, that's wrong, this is right. You're saying it like, no, no, this is what it means. This is how we're gonna interpret it. And this is makes people anxious about their church. Yeah, and you know, he, here's a here's a practical example. So I don't know how many of my own people will be listening to this. Uh, actually, some may because my elders definitely are, are Jude three readers. But um, like you know, we had a, a stained glass Jesus in our narthex for for years. We're an eighty year old church coming out of PCUS and the PC, uh, the RPCES and. And uh, when we built the new building, it just came in here again, all predating me. And, you know, and so some things had uh, my session upset about certain churches that they were doing. And I said, well, well, I'm happy to address those issues, but how do we address, try to address issues in other churches when we've got issues in our church? Well, I think this is okay. And well, as soon as we allow that hermeneutic, that we're allowed to make these decisions that go against our uh, our standards that, and, and, and then why aren't they allowed to make those different, do those violations of those standards? Because those are the ones that they don't actually have a seven foot Jesus in their narthex, but they, they are doing this. We're the ones with the set, you know, and by the way, we've had, we, we, uh, 
we are removing it. It's been covered up for a year in this church because our elders recognized the, wow. the inconsistency. Wow. But also, yeah, man. And but also like more and more conviction over the fact that it actually is a violation of, of the second commandment, you know. But my point is like if you're going to be upset about what other churches are doing, are 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 we doing are we following our agreed upon? Yeah, that, that's that's remarkably biblical, right? Get the log out of your own eye. Yeah. Um, and of course, Jesus is speaking with hyperbole there. Um, yeah. That what are areas in which we're not following the book of church order or we're following custom instead of uh, the scripture? Because that's what we desire. We believe the Westminster Standards are the most faithful summary of the scripture. And so if there's an area in which we're not following them, call us to account, please. You know, we're not going to be upset at you. Uh, call us to account. Uh, because we love the Scripture, and we love uh, the summary of the Scripture. Well, I think that's a, a good place uh, to leave it. Uh, Job, thank you for uh, joining in. George, uh, thanks for joining in. This is your uh, first time. Uh, before uh, we go, I want to say we have a number of copies of David Hall's uh, new book, Irony and the Presbyterian Church in America, to uh, give away. Uh, so if you will uh, share this episode on Twitter, uh, we will uh, be entering uh, the names of those who share it into uh, sharing uh, on Twitter. We'll enter those names into a drawing, and uh, one of you will win a copy of David Hall's new book on the history of the PCA. That's awesome. So, uh, hey, thank you all I for... believe, I believe this is true. David Hall, if you're listening, David Hall, you confirm this. I think I'm the first person that actually bought that book. You are. He told me okay. I had lunch with him so. uh, just uh, earlier this week, and he said that you were the first person to uh, to buy a book. Hi, this is Mama Beauty. Thanks to, for listening to my dad's podcast, which is sponsored by Jude Free. Visit the website judefreepca.org. That's right, Thornwell. Please come back again next week when I am joined by Andy Young along with Joshua Rieger as we discuss God's faithfulness to the ordinary means of grace as he gathers people to himself through the preaching and teaching of his word. And remember, you can be entered to win a copy of David Hall's new book, Irony in the Presbyterian Church in America, by sharing this episode on Twitter and tagging the Westminster Standard Podcast on Twitter. Thank you very much.